It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme on Wednesday, June 16th. And what does, why is June 16th significant? It is, of course, Bloomsday. So happy Bloomsday uh, to you. And the reason that we celebrate Bloomsday is that it was on this, or said to be on this day, the 16th of June, 1904 was the day depicted in James Joyce's novel, Ulysses. And the book, of course, the day is named after the lead character in the book, Ulysses, which was Leopold Bloom. And celebrations, of course, will be going on uh, today. But they'll be toned down because of the pandemic. But you'll, people who who are around Dublin will see people dressed up like the characters from the book and wearing the clothes and the style of that era of the early 1900s. And it's one of those books, Ulysses, I don't know how many people listening have managed to read the book. It's one of those books, I think... I can remember during in my life to date four attempts where I've said, yeah, I'm going to try and do it. I'm going to try and read the book and just can't. I think I, the most I got to was about page 15. And it's one of those books, you know, when you're reading a book and your mind just starts to wander and you're thinking of everything else except the words that you're reading. And unfortunately, that's what happens to me with Ulysses. And there was a time many years ago where it was a life goal. I would say to people, yes, I'm one day going to read Ulysses. I kind of think I've given up on it. I haven't made an attempt to read it, but I always acknowledge that it is Bloomsday on the 16th of June. So happy Bloomsday, particularly if you're one of those who have managed to read, to have read the book. Uh, John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 text and WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We will later on in the programme today be having an employment lawyer join us. And this is to do with returning to work for people who've been working from home and offices are going to start to reopen and businesses are going to start welcoming their employees back into the building because we weren't expecting this until September but then of course the Tornish, the Leo Varadkar kind of in some ways threw a spanner in the works last week when he said it is looking like people can return to places of work from August so that's a month earlier than what most businesses had been expecting and most businesses of course are allowing their employees to work from home because it's based on government guidelines and the government guidelines still says where possible please work from home with Leo Varadkar saying no it looks like we'll be changing that uh, in August and there's a number of dilemmas now coming up for people not everyone is happy about returning to the office some people might be a bit nervous particularly younger workers if they haven't been vaccinated and then you'll have other people who will be and are fully vaccinated who might not be happy about working alongside somebody who isn't vaccinated 
vaccinated and what about the group of people who don't want to be vaccinated who have their own reasons for not wanting to be vaccinated does an employer have the right to ask an employee are you vaccinated does an employee have the right to ask the person who's sitting at the desk next to me are they vaccinated or not and of course the big one for for a lot of workers can an employer say to you you cannot come back to work unless you are fully vaccinated so there's loads of questions like that so we're bringing an employment lawyer onto the programme this morning so if you have a particular question be it from you are an employer are from an employee's point of view about returning to the office, to the business, going back to work. Get your questions in and we will put it to our employment expert uh, later on on the programme today. And then on the topic of uh, vaccines yesterday, I think the bulk of our calls and texts and queries and comments came in from people who have to date received one AstraZeneca jab and they are waiting on their their second. In the main it's people in their 60s who received their first AstraZeneca since about last probably month, two months, six weeks I think is when the 60 year olds started to register and started to go to the vaccination centres and of course the people in their 60s were given no choice. They were told there's one vaccine available for you and that is the AstraZeneca. Then there was a query about the clotting with AstraZeneca and we were told that the 12 week app was going to go out to 16 weeks while they waited for further information to come in and of course the really good, by the way, the really good news on the clotting incidents the very rare clotting incidents with AstraZeneca, uh, the chance of you getting one of these very rare clots on a second jab, they're now saying is even lower than it was the very rare chance you had after your first one, but it's even lower on the second one. And that will bring comfort to some people who are just a bit nervous about getting the second one. But I think for the majority of people who've had their first AstraZeneca, they're just desperate to get their second shot because of the dangers of this Delta variant, which first started in India, where we know after your first dose of either a Pfizer or an AstraZeneca, you're only about 30% covered against that particular uh, strain and people are just worried and they they want their second jab and they want it sooner rather than uh, later. And it now seems that many people in that group, and of course it's not just people in their 60s, it's predominantly people in their 60s, but it's also people who were in the two different at-risk groups, cohort four and cohort seven. So these are people with underlying health conditions. It looks like they're going to be waiting until at least next month before they are fully vaccinated. And in many cases, what will happen is particularly for people in their 60s, their children will have already either been fully vaccinated or their adult children will be at least getting their first vaccines because the HSE say they will start to open registration for vaccines for people in their 30s. Now, it could happen as early as this weekend. Uh, My money is probably on Monday. It'll probably start next Monday, but they're saying it could even start as early as this weekend. And of course, people in their 30s will be offered either a Pfizer or a Moderna. The HSE uh, say they will be unable to provide second doses of AstraZeneca for many of the more than 400,000 people, including those in their 60s, within the recommended eight week gap. And why? 
it's because of they won't have enough deliveries. So many will be waiting longer than what is now recommended as an eight week gap. The current target now we're hearing is that everyone who needs a second dose of AstraZeneca will be fully vaccinated by the week starting July 19th. But that is very much going to depend on the promised deliveries arriving. And we know of all of the vaccines, the ones that have we've been let down the most by when it comes to delivery, unfortunately, has been AstraZeneca. But Paul Reid of the HSE out again this morning saying that by the week starting July 19th, he's saying uh, everybody would have received their second dose. But getting your second dose and being fully vaccinated are two different things because, of course, there's a wait period after you get your second dose of AstraZeneca. I think it's two weeks, isn't it, for, for your second dose of AstraZeneca before you are fully vaccinated. So that again is putting people in the cohorts that have been given AstraZeneca and their people in their 60s. It's kind of putting life on hold uh, for them. Many people in their 50s and many people in their 40s are now already fully vaccinated while vulnerable people and people in their 60s who as I say were told at the time particularly people in their 60s they had no choice they had to take the AstraZeneca if they didn't they were told they'd have to go back to the end of the queue they are the ones waiting on the second uh, dose and now others waiting by the way for an AstraZeneca with the people with the underlying health conditions but healthcare workers many healthcare workers also received a first dose of AstraZeneca they're in the group that are still at waiting the HSE is banking on a large delivery of AstraZeneca vaccines to arrive at the end of this month. People will get a second dose of AstraZeneca. Then, as I say, you need two more weeks after your last dose and then you're deemed fully vaccinated. And of course, the urgency to vaccinate, particularly the vulnerable groups, is because of this increasing concern about the potential impact of the more infectious Delta variant, which originated in India. And Kingston Mills, the professor of experimental immunology at Trinity College, he's saying that the latest study from public health in England, they would be like the equivalent of our uh, NEFET on the prevention of hospitalisation showed that after one dose of AstraZeneca, three out of 10 people could end up in hospital if they were exposed to the Delta variant. Doctors said yesterday that people now should be alert to the symptoms of the Delta variant uh, because it includes headaches, it includes a sore throat and it includes a runny nose. The symptoms, it seems, are more like a bad cold. There are fewer people, for example, presenting with the Delta strain Fewer people have a cough and also less seem to have the loss of smell and taste, which was what we were originally looking out for was somebody with a bad cough, somebody whose sense of smell went, indications all for COVID. It seems to be different with this Delta variant. It's more a sore throat, a headache and a runny nose. Now, Micheál Martin in the Dáil yesterday said that the plan was to provide a second dose of AstraZeneca vaccine three to four weeks earlier than was planned, although he wasn't able to give a guarantee that they will be able to achieve this for everyone who's waiting on a second shot. The Health Minister Stephen Donnelly yesterday said that anyone who has received a first dose of AstraZeneca 
AstraZeneca vaccine will not receive a second dose of either Pfizer or Moderna. And that's despite NIAC. Uh, They're examining it at the moment, but I think it's going to be about two weeks before NIAC are going to come back and to see if they're going to change their minds because they came out at the end of May and said no, they weren't recommending mixing and matching of the any of the vaccines. So Stephen Donnelly is sticking with that, even though we know that NIAC is looking at it again because there's further evidence now available about mixing and matching vaccines and about giving a Pfizer or a Moderna as a second jab to people who got AstraZeneca. Other countries are doing it. So there's evidence there from other countries. So obviously that's what NIAC is looking at at the moment. But Stephen Donnelly is, is saying no. So basically saying to people, if you get offered your AstraZeneca, please go ahead and get it. Don't wait on the off chance that you might get offered uh, something else. And I know that the state's main immunisation expert, this is warning people who got a first dose of AstraZeneca vaccine, is warning them against holding off on the second dose in the hope of getting a different vaccine. This is Professor Karina uh, Butler. She says that it would be a concern as it would leave large number of people only partially protected against COVID-19 at a time when cases of the Delta variant are increasing. And we know that they are. Uh, they're certainly it's at, at an alarming rate in the UK. We have a smaller number of them here in this country. And it seems at the moment the what is about 140 I think cases of the Delta variant have been identified in this country and they seem to be very much in the east of the country and the whole idea is to try to to not have that spread and that's why of course we know that there has been further restrictions placed on people who want to travel from the uh, UK but as of now they are Paul Reid is saying that at, certainly by the 19th of July anyone waiting on the second AstraZeneca shot will have received it. But for some, they will get in within the eight-week gap. But for others, I think particularly people who are probably at the eight-week stage now, they may be waiting another three weeks, which would bring them to the uh, 12 weeks. And people, as I say, just desperate to get the second jab. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. The Cork County Mayor, Mary Lennon Foley, has said that she was at a loss as to what to do about littering because the council's anti-littering campaign seems to be falling on deaf ears with certain groups of people. Councillor Audrey Buckley is a volunteer with her local Tidy Towns group in Crosshaven and uh, she joins me. Good morning to Audrey. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Is it soul-destroying to go out litter-picking, Audrey, only to return and find the same areas littered again? Um, look, it is, and do, do, we've been looking for extra bins, etc. for the last couple of years. Many councillors are um, saying the same thing in their areas. I guess this year it's brought it to a head because of us all vacationing um, the area where I live in Church Bay. Unfortunately, it's um, um, it's down on rocks, etc. And um, the local council lads who do a fantastic job with with Myrtleville and Fountainstown and Crosshaven Village, it's very hard for them to access these these areas. Um, and, you know, me picking up with other volunteers, 12 bags in one day and going back the next day and, you know, picking up another six bags, it's just unfair. It, it's not fair. It's so destroying for the volunteers. Um, I myself would love to not do it for the summer, but I'm civic-minded and I know the tide will take it out and that's why I do it and that's why many other volunteers do it as well. Twelve bags in one day. And what, what's the typical litter that you're picking up? 
well, look, vodka bottles, um, uh, beer uh, bottles, I'd say 90% would be alcohol-related, um, towels, swimsuits, shoes, um, and then just the regular litter with crisp packets, etc. you know, that blow. Um, and that's what we're picking up. It's just very unfortunate um, because I'd say 90% of the, the, the people that are using the area are fantastic and they do take their litter home because I've seen them. But um, we have an element then of 10% um, that aren't doing it and they're actually going to ruin it for everyone else. Like right now, there's a lot of glass all over this area, small bits because they're breaking the bottles. Yeah, see, that's the real re- danger. And what's, what's really annoying is those bottles can be recycled. Yeah. So bad, so bad for the environment. And yet, how dirty would areas be if we didn't have Tidy Town volunteers? Yes. Um, and it's not even Tidy Towns anymore. It's parents um, seeing this that I use social media to get the, the word out there. Because this is pockets. And if you don't see it, you don't realise what's happening. But if you're living in an area and you're out walking in that and you do see it, you're, you are kind of geared to go and, and pick it up because it's so destroying to see it on our beaches, you know. And we do live in a beautiful part of Ireland and we're very fortunate it is on our doorstep. But, um, you know, it's just very frustrating because we work with a lot of um, these these kids in school and that, um, and a lot of them probably would take the day off for Greta Thunberg and, and for the environment. So we just can't get the message across to them. We have signs, bring it in and bring it out. Um, Cork County Council had a campaign, take it home, but it's not working. Um, and that's why Councillor Seamus McGrath and myself had a motion on Monday looking for a specific litter enforcement response because um, of the summer, we'd like to see a multi-agency approach to this for enforcement. You're so saying, think, what, what, what are you saying? Start fining people? Yeah. I, I think, look, unless somebody comes up with another suggestion, because anything we're doing is not working and we need help. And it's not just here in Crosshaven. It's other communities as well that are having this issue um, we would love to see the litter wardens who don't work out of hours work with the community policing at weekends. Um, and I don't think we're asking for much because you're talking about just for a few weeks in the summer months and let the word get out there, a few on-spot fines, mm. and this might work. It's just an option we're, we're looking at and we'd love for Cork County Council to engage a bit more with us. Um, you know, when you're not living in an area and you don't see it, it's no good to us telling us, oh, well, people should be taking it home. Yeah, because it's on your doorstep. You're, yes. see- you're seeing it every day. Are litter wardens fearful of approaching, say, gangs of young people who might be littering? Oh, absolutely. I would be myself. I don't go to the beach on a sunny day. And that's none of us, I say, locally, you would go to the beach when you see these gangs and reams of people going down. You know uh, it's just an accident waiting to happen. Like this weekend, I think, in Crosshaven, there was three or four arrests on a Sunday. Plus, we had the helicopter thing, so it was a bit crazy here at the weekend. Um, and that's just a small portion of people coming down here, because, again, uh, many people that come down here want to come down here to enjoy it. And and because of staycationing, I mean, I'm assuming you're expecting a very busy summer this year. Absolutely. Um, and it has been really busy already. And But it's great to see people out. And I must say, it's great to hear the music from the teenagers and them laughing and kicking a ball as teenagers myself, and um, 
but it's just this element, this ten percent, I'd say. Yeah, who are just ruining, ruining it for every it. Uh, for everybody else. Yeah. But I was reading in the in the papers today that councils will be allowed to use drones, dash cam, and body cam footage to tackle illegal dumping. Footage from fixed cameras installed at known dumping spots will be usable as evidence because it seems the ga- the cabinet yesterday uh, backed the move. It's a series of measures aimed at trying to prevent and and tackle illegal dumping because what many people may be unaware of is local authorities are unable to use surveillance footage at the moment because of GDPR yes, which is just nuts absolutely nuts so it looks like there's, there's it, now it's a draft piece of legislation so I don't know how long it's going to uh, take to kick yeah. in but that would be very welcome wouldn't it? Um, it would be but would you want um, cameras and that on the beach where you know people are changing and, and that so I don't know how it's going to work um, will it work on our coastal beaches? Yeah, it mightn't work on the coastal beaches, yeah. but but certainly fixed cameras used in places where we know there's a yeah. lot of dumping. It, it was it was certainly yeah. uh, work there. Yeah. Um, dash cam and body cam footage could be used by the litter wardens if they didn't want to yeah. go and approach yeah. somebody, uh, go back afterwards and say, look, well, we have the video evidence of what you were doing. Absolutely, but will that work for under 18? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So we have this whole thing where it's on the spot fines um, can be given out to any age group. Um, and I think that's something, and it, it, we're just picking at straws here. We, we're looking at solutions because right now we're not, we don't have any. So we're looking for help. Um, and the government had an, uh, announced a 5 million additional funding in May. So we are looking for court and council um, for extra bins. Well, somebody was on when they when they heard that we were going to be discussing littering today. Litter on the program this morning it was Pat in Formoy was on about he feels in his own town of Formoy the bins. He was talking about the bins over the bank holiday weekend and that they were overflowing on Sunday. And when he went back out on Monday, they were still over overflowing. Is that a, a resource problem on behalf of the council? Is there not enough? Uh, Absolutely. Look, right now, because we've been having issues for the last couple of years, we're very fortunate the Cardline Municipal District have their council staff out. Um, I've seen them myself on a Saturday and Sunday morning and Monday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, picking up a lot of litter, bags of litter. Um, Should we be paying our council staff extra money to do this? Um, A lot of our bins down here are probably 20 years old, not fit for purpose anymore. Should we be looking at better bins, compactable bins, like we have tried before? Um, We need some solutions because it's not going to go away if there's no enforcement. Yeah, if people know that they're going to get to, to get away with it, I mean, it's the one way we you reduce we reduce speeding on our roads when people and people slow down if they think yeah. they're going to get caught and they're going to get fined. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get fined. James in Brewery says we're teaching, we're trying to teach old dogs new tricks that isn't working when it comes to litter in this country. We've been talking about littering for decades, and the measures currently in place don't seem to be working. James says I feel younger people are raising concerns about the environment. They seem to be concerned about the environment. Why not educate people? At a young age about litter and rubbish at primary schools and maybe that will change the way they deal with littering in the future could education be the key but Audrey you reckon we are we are doing that already in our schools well I know for certain about eight years ago here across Aventaggy Towns worked with all the schools here and all of them have green flags now um, I met with the, the new um, manager for the Clean Coast yesterday here to see if they could come up with some solutions for us and um, so we are educating them 
Um, but maybe your own are educated in our own location, but maybe it should be a national rollout and mandatory to all schools. Mm. Yeah, well, definitely something needs to be done yes. uh, for sure. And then littering during the pandemic, we all saw that it increased. We did, because the amount of footfall in a lot of beauty spots where a lot of people would be walking in that, we don't have a, a lot of bins. We're finding instead of cigarette butts now, our biggest issue would be coffee cups. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are buying a coffee and they're going off on their walk and you find a lot of it in the verges, a lot of coffee cups in the verges. Well, I know actually when I mentioned that what the cabinet were talking about yesterday with the drones and the dash cam and the body cam uh, footage, they're once again talking about the famous latte levy uh, on the disposable coffee cups that has been mentioned again. And actually, only uh, was it was it was it only earlier on this week on the program we were asking people to start bringing their keep cups, bringing bringing your own cup with you when you go into your cafe. Okay, listen, Audrey, thank you um, for that. Just one more thing, um, I do think the bottle return scheme has to come in sooner rather than later. We're hoping on working on one here and trialling one here in Crosshaven and we're just waiting to finalise things. But I do think the bottle return scheme would be, a definitely would take percentage of the litter off our beaches. Put a, put a deposit on the bottles yes. as, as we used to do once upon yes. a time. And it worked very well yeah. and it worked very well in other countries. Yeah, why fix what isn't broken? I can never understand why they, why they took that away. Listen, Audrey, thank you thank for you that. For Pleasure as always to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Crosshaven-based uh, local councillor Audrey Buckley. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. With the government now encouraging an outdoor summer. More and more hospitality outlets are providing services to their customers in outdoor areas on or near their premises. With that in mind, the Clonakilty Access Group is asking businesses to be aware of the issue of access and safety on our footpaths. Uh, joining me is Kionato Suluwon, who is a founding member of the Clonakilty Access Group, which was set up in the mid-90s and is currently their PRO. Good morning to you, Kionato. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, and it is, it is important to point this out, your group very much welcome the reopening of society and, and you're wishing all of the local businesses every success. Oh, God, of course, yes, and it's important. And we've always been uh, as positive as possible in relation to business and society generally. Look, it's a known fact that the last year and a half has been very, very tough on everyone's businesses, but also people. Uh, confined to their homes and people with disabilities that may have difficulties at the best of times, uh, you know, it has hit them even harder. So they are all looking forward to going out and socialising on the, on, the, on the streets of, the, of our town and, and other places as well, the same as everyone else. So the Access Group, just to clarify, we, re- we represent people with disabilities, physical disabilities, and we've campaigned to have better streetscapes and, and more uh, proper accesses as a right for people to access their public areas and their towns. And I know I saw you this morning that the Irish Wheelchair Association, they are also highlighting this and saying that there's a lot of problems for wheelchair users in in, in accessing the re, with the reopening of towns and uh, cities. But you're saying it's not just wheelchair users that you have concerns for. Talk me through some of the concerns that you have. Well, yes, obviously, when we when the word disability is mentioned, we we we, we most of us think very firstly of people that might be in a wheelchair, 
but uh, access in public areas and in particular footpaths and, and uh, areas like that, you know, town squares, all that kind of an area, you know, people with visual impairments as well, that mightn't be completely blind, but would have w- would have difficulties seeing uh, their vision wouldn't be great, you know. Yeah, low vision. Them. So, so like anything on a, on a footpath, which is uh, be for pedestrians, for walk, for people to walk on, or people with with um, with with wheelchairs, but also don't forget there's quite able-bodied people who are child carers, parents of children, that they're pushing buggies and prams, often double buggies, as you know. And the worst thing that can happen for people is they're going along, and the next thing there's there's a, a problem on the footpath in front of them. There's a, an obstacle placed in their way. Now you can imagine if you're blind, if you're fully sighted and you're blindfolded and you're asked to walk down the street with a stick in front of you. Uh, which is your right as a blind person to walk uh, unattended uh, or if you're a wheelchair user and suddenly there's a bin or there's seating or something like that put out in front of the area that you should be able to travel uh, safely and in comfort without obstacles. It is a huge problem and, you know, this isn't isn't a new thing, but it's, you know, we've been campaigning for years about sandwich board signs and things like that Mm -hmm. out on footpaths as well in Clannacilty. And it's until people are in this situation that they fully realise it. We we know people that these things would not, never have concerned them before, but now suddenly there's a life-changing experience, either for themselves or a family member where there's someone in a wheelchair, and suddenly they're going out with their relative on a wheelchair, and they, they suddenly see things from a totally new perspective. Um, so what we're saying, the, count, the, the, the government and the councils have are, are on about the outdoor summer, Everyone wants it, including people with disabilities. We People want to go out and have a, a sandwich and a coffee on the side of the street, the same as everyone else. But the council has given grants and, and the government has given um, support to businesses to do that. But there are rules and regulations as far as I'm concerned and, and, and disability groups like the IWA that, that you mentioned earlier. And as far as I'm aware, all these um, new areas of, of for dining and, and socialising are to be on the road, not on the footpaths. So that's the first thing. And secondly, you know, if there are things like bins being put out, that they're put not in the middle of people's way where they might be passing, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're put in a safe area in near a wall or whatever, that they're not uh, going to create a problem for people. Uh, because they, yeah, people so a lot, of it, a lot of it, Kenneth, is really around awareness. You know, you can have your seating areas, but you need to allow access for people and make sure that the footpath is clear. So you need to sort of go yep. out, assess it and look at it as if you're looking at it through the eyes of somebody in a wheelchair yep. or through the eyes of somebody who's visually impaired or through the eyes of somebody trying to push a buggy down, down the footpath. Yep. Well, Yes, but you see, there are rules, there are regulations, there is legislation about keeping footpaths clear, irrespective of any COVID or outdoor dining. These these laws are there already, but they're never or rarely enforced. And just use reverse psychology for a minute. You take the main street of Flanagan or any street, and people have uh, put out stuff on footpaths. Imagine if you put out a sandwich board or a seating and a chair and a table out on the white line in the middle of the street where the traffic is. Within, within one minute, there would be consternation. People would be giving out and the obstacle would be removed and the council would, and the guardian or whoever would be involved and they would, they would be saying this is unacceptable. So we need to, we need to treat people with, on footpaths in the exact same manner as we do the roadway. And, and if there are rules and regulations, people must really comply with them. 
and it, we're not here to, to use a sledgehammer. We're asking number one awareness, awareness, and we we ask businesses to be aware of of the of the problems that can be created. Most of the time, unintentionally, to be fair, people do not go out, uh, deliberately to to impede people on the footpaths. Mm. Okay, and these areas that have been established by the, by the council so that people can enjoy a bit of outdoor dining and they're wonderful and they're, and they're great for businesses but as you say, in the main they're out uh, out um, the roadway. They are taking up parking spaces. Is is that an issue for you in Clonakilty? Well, I suppose, thankfully in Clonakilty we, we, we through the access group and, and other groups like us have managed with campaigning over the last couple of years to actually achieve a few new uh, disabled person spaces in the town. Well done. And uh, with, 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 in cooperation with the council engineer, we were able to, number one, get one or two extra spaces, but secondly, we were able to get them located at the best possible locations that, that serve the people that need them. Like, there's no point in putting a disabled person space out in the edge of town uh, where the people need to access the bank in the, in the town centre. Like, you need these places to be, to be practical. So, I suppose... Yes, there are maybe in certain places there might be one or two car spaces now being taken up by these outdoor seating areas. Um, my view is if you're able-bodied, you, you park away from them, obviously, and you, you use car parks that, and you walk to the, the place for your socialisation. Um, but I suppose that's a matter really for the, the Chamber of Commerce and the business people. If they feel there's not enough parking generally for their customers, they need to they need to get on to the, the council about that. Um, but in Clannacilty, certainly we're we're happy. We're not 100% happy. We would all, always love more spaces for people with disabilities. And again, again, I go back to the whole thing about respect and enforcement and awareness. Um, these are issues as well in relation to parking spaces for people with disabilities. Yeah, and actually those outdoor seating areas that have been funded by the council and as I said they are great and they're fantastic for business and this is all about getting businesses back up and going uh, but I saw a friend of mine who was a wheelchair a user at the weekend uh, saying that she'd, she'd arranged to meet with somebody and to go for a cup of coffee and to have some lunch and they got to one of these outdoor dining areas they're meant to have ramps and the particular one where that she confronted didn't have a ramp so she wasn't able to get into this area in order to have have lunch, so we need to be yep. aware of that as well. That you know we, we, we're having this wonderful outdoor summer, but uh, people with disabilities want to be part of the reopening of cities and and the country, and they want to be able to socialise with their friends and their families. Of course, and again, I would ask the question needs to be asked in that situation where you, you've just mentioned. You know, I, w- I would I would think that the council would, when they gave permission to this particular business to put out their outdoor area and use up a couple of car spaces or whatever. There would have been guidelines there and there would have been, um, you know, measurements. They would have been told that there should be a ramp for access for a person to come off the, off the footpath mm. onto this particular area on, on the road beside us. Um, if, it's not, if, it's not, if it's not a platform that's level, level with the footpath. But again, who, the, 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 the council would have, would have given permission. But who's checking uh, up? Did, did, did they come back and it's a bit like... You know, the thing in Donegal at the moment, who who, who inspected the buildings in Donegal? The Mica, yeah. Who gave permission? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, it's all this way of plenty laws and regulations, in my, in my view, plenty, no, no matter at all. But it's about the enforcement of the master. And if they're, if they're, if they're not being done, uh, if people aren't complying with them, then the council needs to take action.
Okay. But All right. it won't happen again, you know. All right, and as you say, and we, we'll go back to, as we said at the outset, we, we, we're very much in favour of the reopening of society and we want to wish businesses every uh, success, but people with disabilities need to be a part of that reopening as well. Yep. Listen, Kiona, thank yes. you for that. Can I mention something else? Just, just Qu- listen, very quickly, yeah. So the council development, and you probably mentioned on your, your programme already, it's been reviewed at the moment. Yes. We had a, we had a committee meeting or access group last night. It, it has been read through the draft already, and there's, it's very, very, very low in terms of um, emphasis on people with disabilities and accessibility on our street. So we're, we're, we're putting a submission, and we would encourage others with concerns or with, with disability with disability issues in mind to, do to look at that and put in submissions about very simple things that we've actually just spoken about as well, okay. even as simple as ramps and stuff and all right, listen, thank you for that, uh, Kionitz, and uh, thanks for joining us. Stay safe. That is uh, Kionitz O'Sullivan, who is PRO for the Clonakilty Access Group. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Margaret has contacted the programme this morning looking for help and advice, please. And it's to do with moths, of all things. She said, can anybody offer advice, please, uh, about moths? She has discovered moths in her house. Now, first of all, she said it's not causing any harm to her clothes and they don't appear to be in her wardrobes. She's presuming that they're coming in through the window as obviously warm weather at the moment. She's leaving windows open, so she reckons they're flying in either daytime, evening time or whatever. And she says they're really only becoming a problem at night when they're about to go to bed uh, and when they switch on the lights then they start to see a lot of moths flying around the room or else they're stuck onto the walls and she's looking for help in how to get rid of the moths. Now over the last few days she did light some scented candles and she noticed that there's less of them in the room when she placed a scented candle in this is obviously in her bedroom before she went to bed but she's wondering should there be a particular scent of a scented candle that she should be using that would keep the moths away and keep the moths out of the house? So does anybody know what scented candle she's been using? Obviously all different, whatever scented candle she has in the house that she can lay her hands on, but she doesn't know which ones are working the best or not. So before she heads out to buy particular scented candles, does anybody know which scented candles should Margaret be using to try to get rid of moths? And has anybody else noticed that there has been an increase in moths in their house. As she says, it's only in the evening time when the lights go on that you can see them flying around or else they're stuck on walls. And actually when Margaret's call came in just before news at 11 as I was heading upstairs here to the canteen to make a quick cup of coffee during the news, lo and behold, isn't there a gorgeous moth, a white moth just stuck on the wall. I don't know if it'll be there when I go back up at 12 o'clock or not. So anyway, if anybody has suggestions for Margaret on how to get rid of moths, but in particular, she's it's around scented candles because scented candles seem to be working but she's wondering what's the scent of a scented candle what is the best one that she should be using 1850 if you can offer Margaret advice please or you can text our WhatsApp Margaret in Bantry listening to our discussion on litter in the last hour said I noticed last week a person dumping bags of household domestic rubbish 
into the public litter bins. She said, no wonder our bins are full. There are people who simply do not wish to pay for the rubbish to be collected and they feel they're entitled to dump their rubbish in public bins. Well, it's one of the reasons that the council say that they don't have as many public bins and why they removed some public bins, they say. One of the reasons is because exactly what Mary in Bantry is describing, people who don't want to pay for their rubbish to be collected will decide to use it in a public bin instead. And they found in some areas, bins were getting overflowing and when they went to empty the bins, they discovered it was bags of domestic rubbish. It wasn't, I mean, public bins are placed out in public areas. If you're out and about and you're walking and you're having something to eat or whatever, you've got some kind of a wrapper and you need to dispose of it. That's why the council provides bins. But it's the main reason that a lot of our bins have been removed. Now, I know they do their best to try to block the top of the bins so that you can only put small items in. But obviously people have worked around that. But Mary quite taken aback to see somebody dumping domestic rubbish. And then we're talking about outdoor dining and how access and we have to think about access for people when we have these wonderful outdoor dinings and areas to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And the council has done a lot of work in all of our main uh, towns to put up these outdoor areas. You know, they're mainly, as Kenneth Osula one was telling us from the Clonakilty Access Group, they're mainly, you would have seen them there, wooden structures and they're out on the roadway. Now, I know they're taking up some parking spaces, but they're great for the businesses and they're great for people to be able to go and meet up with somebody to have a cup of coffee or to have a bit of lunch, whatever you're having yourself. Nuala says in her town, and we're just not, not, not saying where Nuala is from, they have one of these outdoor seating areas, but she says the council need to come back and take a look at it because it is has been constructed right right next to the pedestrian crossing. Now, she says if somebody is in a wheelchair, you can't actually see the person in the wheelchair until they roll out past this structure and then they're actually onto the pedestrian crossing. So it's the same for able-bodied people when they're walking out as well. They have to be very, very careful. She feels it's very dangerous and it's something that the council needs to look at because it's the council who put those areas, those structures up. They funded it. They've and they, I, I think they built them as well. So it's strange to think that it's parked right beside and almost on top of the, what Newell is describing. It's almost on top of a pedestrian crossing. Does that need to be looked at again? 1850 When you're talking about litter this morning on the programme, uh, Patricia, it reminded me about 40 years ago when we used to come over on holidays. We would be coming from or going to the boat in the very early hours of the morning and in every single town we would travel through as we were heading to the port there would be a man with a cart and a shovel cleaning the street and he would be doing that before people were even up out of their beds the good old days it's kind of like when people talk about the man with the shovel with the dikes on the side of the road and how he knew and he kept every dike uh, clear but there was a man according to this list about 40 years ago plus out with a cart and a shovel what a job and would be out every morning but because of that when people got up there to head out to work the streets were spotlessly clean because this man had gone around with his cart and his brush and his shovel and, and he cleaned up the street. Well, I spoke, thank you for that one, I spoke about the councils and that they're looking at new draft legislation that the councils may be allowed to use drones, dash cam or body cam footage to try to tackle illegal dumping and littering. This is under new powers that are going to be agreed by the government. Somebody says, Patricia, when you're talking about drones, you have to remember drones can damage wildlife but I suppose if the drones were catching people doing illegal dumping you look at the amount of 
damage that's done to wildlife from illegal dumping. And then somebody else says, thank God the hedgerows at Ballymacork Cross have been cut, not before time. A serious accident was looming. We were only, was it only on Monday I mentioned that? We had a couple of calls in from people who were saying how dangerous it was, particularly when you were trying to see the traffic coming from the Killarney direction when you were trying to get off from Ballymacork Cross. So I don't know whether they were listening to us, the powers that be or not. But anyway, good to hear that the hedgerows have been cut at uh, Ballymacork uh, Cross. On AstraZeneca, hi Patricia, I got my first AstraZeneca jab four weeks ago. I managed to get it by way of a cancellation. Can I still be called up before the next five weeks for the second jab or will I have to wait until I'm eight weeks before the first and the second jab? That's from Tim in uh, Mallow. It is very possible that you'll be called because if you're only four weeks, you'd have another four weeks to go to be eight weeks. The recommendation now from NIAC is that you wait no longer than eight weeks even though Paul Reid from the HSE said well, while they're doing their best, they do accept that people will go beyond the eight weeks and may go to the full 12 weeks before they get their, their call. But it is very possible, Tim, that you may get called under the eight weeks. But looking at the timeline, it's going to be another five weeks max. They reckon they'll have everybody done. So you might be just in or, in or around the eight weeks. But it is possible, yes, it is possible that you may get called before. And the recommendation is no longer than eight weeks but that doesn't mean that you can't get called and it's not okay for you to get it say after seven uh, seven weeks so keep a look out for your text message Hi Patricia I'm eight weeks after my first uh, sorry I'm 11 weeks after my first AstraZeneca I'm waiting on my second I haven't got a call yet you certainly should be expecting one very soon I imagine if not this week certainly by next week you are one of the ones that will go the full 12 weeks I'm Paul Reid for the HSE from the, from when they first came out and said they were moving the 12 week gap back to 8 weeks except it that there would be people that would be waiting the 12 weeks as well and actually I can put Marcia my own daughter into that category she's 11 weeks today since she got her first one so her 12 weeks will be up next week we still haven't heard either I'm expecting her to get it next week but we still haven't heard uh, either but we, I do know yesterday when I mentioned AstraZeneca we did have a number of people who contacted us to say that they had now got dates for their second shot so they are getting through it and it's all dependent on how much AstraZeneca comes in there's a lot of it in at the moment and I think there's a lot to win for next week as well but it's in the coming five weeks that we need to get enough in order to do the other over remember there's over 400,000 people are waiting to get a second uh, dose and hi Patricia everybody's talking about the Delta variant and the people who are who have gotten are awaiting on their second vaccination well I am one of the people that got the one shot Janssen jab and it's like we're being ghosted on all of the discussions. No idea on the efficacy of this particular vaccine against the new variants. It seems to be a budget brand and doesn't warrant discussion. <laughs> it's definitely not a budget brand and it, and you're right, it does, it does warrant a discussion. So when I saw your text come in, I just did a quick search to see what information I could find out about uh, Janssen. I think the reason you don't hear a lot of it in discussion here in this country is that it is probably one of the lowest number of jabs. That and Moderna, the main bulk of people who have received a vaccine in this country has either been through AstraZeneca or Pfizer and that was just because 
they were the vaccines that arrived in huge numbers. You will start to see as we go through the summer, you'll start to hear about a lot more people will have been given the Janssen jab or else the Moderna one because we're getting more of those in the coming months. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with the Janssen jab that you got. A study, a new study that has just come out from the European Medicines Agency which evaluated the antibody and the cellular immune response generated by immunisation with the single dose, the Johnson & Johnson, um, is suggesting that the vaccine is very effective at preventing infection, not just from the original COVID strain, but also against the uh, variants of concern. And the variants of concern are obviously, firstly, it was the Kent one, the English one that that was predominant in this country, but also the Indian one. So there's really good evidence there that it's doing exactly what it says on the tin. And actually, if you to get information on the Janssen one, I would say to you to look at some of the American websites and go to, you know, the the FDA in America, for example, because America have used uh, one of the countries, their two main vaccines have been Pfizer and the single dose Johnson and Johnson. And if you just look to America at the moment, there's a real glimmer of hope in, in the States as they go into their uh, summer because they have some of the lowest COVID-19 case rates in months and that's got to do with the rollout of the vaccination in the States and they predominantly have used the Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer jab so there's really good evidence behind the Johnson & Johnson it's just the fact that it doesn't get discussed enough in this country because there isn't enough evidence in this country because not enough enough people have uh, received it but you've got a really good vaccine and you're safe that is the main uh, thing and hi Patricia would you please wish our senior footballers all the very best in the upcoming county final this Saturday, June 19th, 7pm in Porky Creef. Who are we talking about? Mallow GAA. They are taking on Air Oak in the county final. We would like to encourage every business in town to get their Mala colours out in support as restrictions will still apply. Many people will not be able to attend the county final, but you have the opportunity to show your colours on the day. Thanks and kind regards from everybody in Mallow GAA. And actually when I was in Mallow GAA getting my second jab on Sunday, I saw the big sign up wishing the senior footballers all the very best in the county final next Saturday. C103 Jobs. Bus Aaron, uh, sorry, a bus driver with a D or a D1 licence is required. That's for work in the Duhallo area. While general operatives are wanted for full-time positions, that's at Allied Profiles in Quartertown. Home care are wanted for an elderly lady with dementia, that's in the Bandon area. And an Arctic driver is wanted an immediate start for work in the North Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103 A year and a half on from the very first lockdown with close to 1.5 million people vaccinated and the easing of restrictions. Many employees are being asked to return to the office. But how will it work? And what are the legal obligations for employers and the rights for the employees? To answer some of your questions, I'm joined by Richard Grogan, who's Head of Employment Law at Richard Grogan and Associates. Good morning to you, Richard. 
Good morning, Patricia. And, and thank you so much for taking time out to uh, talk to us. Now, some people absolutely loved working at home. Others absolutely detested it. Do you feel going forward we will end up with a blended way of working, some days in the office, some days at home? Do you think that's what the future is going to be? Um, it's going to very much depend on the relevant business. Some businesses will be able to work on blended, some will be able to continue remote working and there's other businesses that the idea of remote working or blended working just is never going to arise. So, you know, if you're a if you're a barista in a in a, in a coffee shop in Cork, you're never going to get remote working. <laughs> so, you know, so so I mean, this thing of that this is the new way forward. There's an awful lot of people who will never work that way. So, you know, I mean, if you're a doctor or you're uh, a dentist or you're a d- dental assistant or you're working in a dentist practice or a doctor's practice, you're never going to get blended working. So there's a lot of people who are never going to get blended working or remote working. That's just the reality. There will be others who are office-based uh, who may get it. But other than that, it's, it's not going to be for everybody, unfortunately. And then it will be up to the employer to decide if they're happy to allow their employees to work from home. Uh, well, this is where all the problems kick in because we're going to have a new piece of legislation later this year on the right to request remote or blended working. And now, at the moment, it's only a right to... They're talking about remote, for remote working only. This is just going to be a complete and utter disaster because it's uh, we don't know how the legislation is going to work. And what we're getting feedback at the moment uh, is that um, from employers who have to do a health and safety assessment, that somewhere between 30 and 40% of people's homes are not suitable for home working from a health and safety perspective, which is a huge number. I mean, if I put it this way, you can virtually take it that somebody who's working in a, who, who lives in an apartment, it's not going to qualify, particularly if they're working with somebody else because of the issue of GDPR because the, the employer is going to say somebody can see something there. I mean, if I put it this way, if it's an accountant, Patricia, and they're doing your tax returns, uh, and somebody's sitting beside them, and they, they see it, there's a huge GDPR issue yeah, there. So it, it, this, is, this hasn't been thought out. Lots of people are going to look for it, and lots of people will get it, but it hasn't, it's not going to suit everybody, and it's going to depend on the job that you have. And I saw Ismay, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises uh, Association today, uh, say that there is a disgraceful lack of clarity from the government about staff returning to work uh, unvaccinated. We know that Leo Varadkar came out and said it is possible that people will be returning to the office in uh, August. Do they need to give clarity to workers and to employers? Well, uh, this is one that I disagree with Ismay on because they use the word disgraceful. Um, they didn't, shambolic would be a better word. The whole thing is a complete and utter disaster uh, because what the government have come out with is their plan for it is effectively for people to, if you can't be, go back into the workplace because you're not vaccinated, that you're going to be working in a hub. That's how they're going to work it in the government, but that's not going to apply to everybody else. They're, they've turned around and said if somebody isn't vaccinated and they can't be allowed back into the workplace, then in those circumstances the employer will have to look at um, redeploying the employee. Now, nobody's thought that out because if you take a situation of, we say, a small restaurant there in Cork mm-hmm. and it has two chefs, if one of them says, I'm not getting vaccinated, then you've got to keep the two chefs two metres apart. That's not going to be possible. In a small kitchen, yeah. Yeah. And where do you redeploy a chef? 
you know that yeah. you know and now the government have stopped at the word redeployment and haven't told anybody the whole issue with vaccination uh, really is uh, it's an absolute disgrace and i'll tell you why we have the data protection commissioner saying you can't go asking people if they've been vaccinated you've got the health and safety authority saying you have to go and ask everybody if they're vaccinated and i'll give you a very simple example which you could have an employer having every single employee in that company suing them, right, whether they're vaccinated or not. <clears throat> and take a situation where somebody comes and says, look, I've got a concern about coming back to the workplace unless everybody's vaccinated, right? Yeah, and that, and that is a reasonable request. Yeah, People yeah. would see that as a reasonable request. Yes. Now, if the employer then turns around and says, now listen, Patricia, don't worry about it. I've checked with everybody. They're all vaccinated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you've now the employer has now broken the uh, data protection GDPR for every other employee in the place. Yeah, and each one of those now has a claim, and that's not down to the WRC. That's a claim to the circuit court. That's oh. that's that's kind of like uh, for now the compensation mightn't be huge, but the employer can be sitting looking at the legal cost for a solicitor and a barrister for himself or herself and on the other side, to run a case like that down to court because the employer has said to the employee, don't worry about it. Now, the government will just not grasp this nettle on vaccination to say what employers can ask and not ask, what employees can answer or not answer, and what they're doing is at this stage, effectively, they're sitting on the fence so much at this stage, Patricia, that they're splinters. In them all over the place because <laughs> they've really got to come off this fence and say this is what an employer can do if they do this that's fine if they go further than that that's not fine now if they want the situation that nobody has to answer anything about this then businesses in Cork and the rest of the country will operate on everybody being two metres apart but that's, that's not practically possible for every business sorry it's, it's completely impractical for, for businesses. And what's going to happen is you're going to have people, businesses failing and people losing their jobs and being made redundant because nobody in the government will turn around and address the issue of this is what you're allowed to ask, this is not what you're allowed to ask. Now, I'm an employment law solicitor and I put up a post today saying employment law solicitors are now saying that you can bring a claim if you're an employee who says, I'm, I don't want to get vaccinated, but I want to come back to the workplace. You can bring a claim saying, I'm vaccinated and I don't want to work with anybody who isn't vaccinated. Right? Mm. You can bring a claim if the employer tells everybody who is and isn't vaccinated. You can, you can bring a claim if they, if they segregate between vaccinated and non-vaccinated. So it's a complete and utter shambolic disaster that's coming down. And it's due to this whole thing in Irish politics of every politician has to be loved by everybody rather than actually set it out. And at the present time, they're not setting it out and they're not being fair to employers or employees, those who want to be vaccinated, those who don't want to be vaccinated. At the present time, nobody knows what the law is. What we all know is that there's thousands of claims there because of contradictory evidence under GDPR health and health and safety legislation. So would we need, would we need, will we need the government to introduce new legislation then to clarify all the points you're making? Uh, well, the first thing they could do is actually come out and say, this is what you do. 
you know, literally, yeah. this is what you do. Uh, because at the present time, we're told um, employers, employers at this stage are being told to bring people back, right? There's a, G, there's a GDPR issue on asking people if they're vaccinated, and they say they're not vaccinated. But if they, if they, if they say I won't answer it, under the health and safety legislation, the employer has to sit the employee down and explain to them the benefits of, of vaccination. Now, you know, you have one side saying, well, you can't ask the person if they're vaccinated and they don't have to tell you. And you've got the HSA saying, well, you have to actually explain to the person about the benefits of vaccination. So what we're left with at the moment, Patricia, is the appalling vista that we have. Employers are going to have to, to be safe at the present time. They have to put in the full risk assessment, which has to be there. And then they have to say, look, I, I, have, to, uh, I have to presume that nobody's vaccinated and keep everybody two metres apart. Now, what is happening in reality is employers are bringing people back. They're fudging it at the present time because it's not... At the present time, we don't have everybody vaccinated and we don't have everybody offered vaccination. These claims are going to kick in when everybody has been offered a vaccination. Yeah, and when people uh, and people are within their rights uh, to refuse, because that's one of the main questions we are getting from listeners. Can an employer insist that all employees get vaccinated? And you say, no, they can't do that. I'm not saying that. Because I can absolutely guarantee you that, empl- that there are going to be employers who are going to come out with no jab, no job. And what they're going to say is, I can't have you in here without evidence of vaccination from a health and safety perspective. But then that employee can take a case against the employer. Well, the employee is going to have to, the employer in those situations is, I think you're going to see um, a lot of employers turning around and saying, there is an issue with this um, and we've done a health and safety assessment and that's the health and safety assessment and we can't have anybody in without that. So it's going to be, does GDPR tramp Trump health and safety or does health and safety trump um, GDPR? That is the issue. But one of the things that's coming through, and I think you're going to see, come when everybody has been vaccinated, or, or what I should say, offered vaccination, you are going to see businesses with signs up, all our staff are vaccinated. Yeah. And But we're not going to let anybody in here who isn't vaccinated. Now you're going to have the issue then as to which restaurant are you going to go to. The one which says everybody in here is all vaccinated or the one across the road. Yeah. So the businesses who have people vaccinated and the employees are happy to say, yeah, we're all vaccinated. And remember, there's, there, there are about four or five disabilities where you cannot get vaccinated. So there'd have to be an exemption for people who cannot get vaccinated because of a disability. But there's only four or five. But of it's a very small number. Yeah. You're yeah. talking minute numbers. Yeah. 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 Um, there, and there are possibly two religions that you can't, that, that are anti-vaccination, but all the main religions are pro-vaccination. So you're really pro- having a problem there if you're doing it on the quality legislation on it. But it is going to be one where there's going to be hard choices are going to be made. And the reality on it is, um, and you, Patricia, would, you know, there's great restaurants in Cork. Mm-hmm. I, we, I go down to West Cork regularly, but in West Cork and in the city, there are fantastic restaurants. Some of those are quite small. You know, great food, but quite small. And you're going to see the issue that businesses are going to say, for us to have people in here, we need people vaccinated and we need our staff vaccinated to give the 
um, to protect the staff, but also to get the, keep the business going. Well, to make now, it financially viable, they can't uh, they can't have the tables two meters apart in in some of those small restaurants. In some of the small restaurants, I mean, I go to one and there is no way they physically can't have tables two meters apart. Yeah. It's, it's it's a long narrow restaurant, so they could only have them on one side. That's fifty percent of the tables gone, if not more. So it's it's it, that's a real real problem. And we have to address the problem. And maybe, you know, I'm going to be very open in relation to this. And I'm saying we have a choice that we make as a nation. We say, yes, the right to bodily integrity trumps people's jobs. Or we go the other way around. But you can't actually have both. You cannot have the, I don't want to be vaccinated, but I want to be allowed back in the workplace. uh, Being with everybody and but not having two meters apart. And by the way, an employee can't say, I'll take the risk myself. That's contrary to the health and safety legislation of 2005. You can't do that. So there's going to be a choice that has to be made. Politicians are very bad at making choices. What we're going to get is a fudge. And Ismay, I have to agree with today, now they were kicking up about lawyers bringing claims. We only bring the claims on the basis of the law. And at the present time, the law is so dysfunctional that the claims are all over the place because the government doesn't want to make the hard decisions. Yeah, this is it's, it's a minefield. Here's an example of somebody says, I, I'm working in a shop, six staff working behind the counter, so we're all on top of one another. One person doesn't believe in vaccines. What do I do? I have to, I have to work, but I have huge concerns about working beside this person who doesn't believe in vaccines. Well, the, that particular employee is entitled to turn around and put in a complaint to their employer and say, I'm making this complaint under the health and safety legislation they can send a complaint to the HSA and the HSA is going to have to have everybody two metres apart and by the way if the employer reacts in a bad way to the employee raising that issue then in those situations the employee has a victimisation claim against the employer now what it is is six people behind the counter I'm taking it that the effect of that is going to be to have them two metres apart probably three people are going to have to lose their jobs yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and then the issue is, will the business be able to operate with only probably three people? Not. Pro- probably yeah. not. And yeah. then so another another question is, can my employer ask me to get tested for COVID? Obviously, this is antigen testing. Yeah. Now, the antigen testing, uh, my own view on it is from a health and safety perspective, yes, that's reasonable. Now, the other side of it is, of course, is that the Data Protection Commission are absolutely opposed to antigen testing because you've got a record of a medical issue. By the way, I would say to you, they were also against people having their temperature taken if you were recording the temperature that they were at. So they're a little bit. But I think antigen testing, a lot of stuff about it. But the reality on it is it picks up some people. It doesn't pick up everybody, but it does bring if somebody has it and it comes up that, that you have it, then, yes, it is one that protects everybody in the workplace, the employee themselves and other workers. So, you know, I, I'm not against that kind of testing. I think it's very uh, reasonable. In the UK, by the way, every business owner gets uh, two tests per employee per week if the employer wants to get them and the employees are happy to take them. Okay. We can, get nothing. Yeah. Uh, someone says, can I refuse to go back into the office because I think I'm working very well at home and I don't want the commute back into well, work? Well, that's your opinion as somebody 
would say. Um, they may very well be working there. The answer on that is no, they've no right to do that. Um, their contract will have a location. Uh, they will ultimately be entitled to apply for the issue of uh, to, to work remotely. Um, and if the employer says no in those circumstances, then they will bring their claim to the WRC. That will take about a year to get on. A year. And in the in- interim, the answer will be, well, you either come to work or you don't come to work. Now, what is coming up is that I expect to see some employees saying, look, I'm going to apply for a job where I can work remotely or blended hours, and if you're not going to give it to me that, I'll just go off and try and get a new job. Yeah. So there will be pressure on employers to do that but it depends on the job and to be honest with you if i put it this way you could not have somebody who was we say um doing tax returns right yeah and we say dealing dealing with tax returns and possibly say a, a, a you know for a significant individual in cork sharing a, an apartment with two other people and everybody having a workstation in the same room Right, it just can't be done for GDPR. So there's the employers have a real problem. They've got GDPR with having people working from home, and there are significant issues on that. And equally, as I said, about forty, thirty to forty percent of homes are not qualifying mm-hmm. as suitable workplaces because remember, it costs the employer about two thousand fifteen hundred to two thousand euro to properly set up a workstation at home. Now the thing about it is they can only charge that back against tax over seven years. They can't even charge it as an upfront cost. So it's going to be a cost that, to the business as well. Here's, well, yeah. here's, here's Tony who is in his uh, 20s. He said, I'm going to be one of the last to get to be fully vaccinated. Uh, I'm expected to go back into the office in August. I work with some people who really don't adhere to social distancing, cleaning down desks or, or sanitising. I won't feel comfortable going back into the office until I'm fully vaccinated. Will I be able to say to my employer, I want to wait until I'm fully vaccinated before returning? What the employee in this case can do is... Uh, there is a return to work pr- protocol that has to be filled out. Uh, once I think the employee goes in, if he sees that this isn't being done, then he puts in a complaint to the employer. And if the employer doesn't act on it immediately, he puts in a complaint to the HSA, Health and Safety Authority, immediately. And he's protected, by the way, once he's made a complaint to the employer from any form of victimisation for raising it. And he can simply say, this is not safe. So he will be able to turn around and say, this is not safe, and will be able to bring claims against the employer to make sure that the employer has the location safe. I mean, any employer who has people walking around who aren't keeping social distance and aren't washing their hands and aren't using the protocols and aren't using hand sanitizers, um, that's just not allowed. They have to make sure that that's done. Yeah, and that's going to be with us for quite some time. Listen, you've, you're an absolute mine of information, uh, Richard. I'm interested, where, where in West Cork do you normally rock up? Uh, I rock up to Skib. Skib, um, great part of the so, country. Well, yeah, yeah. Clon is a great place for getting food. Skib is a great place for getting food. And everything past Skib is equally a great place <laughs> for getting food. So the, so, so, so I, uh, I, lo- I love West Cork. And, uh, you know, so I'm... Uh, I, I, we have a place. We, we, we go to a place close to Derry Lee Lakes, just outside Lep. So you'll, so, be, da- you'll be down for a staycation, you will? I've already been down oh, for a staycation. Well uh, so, uh, yeah, I had the whole thing of going through lockdown that I couldn't get down to West Cork. And uh, I uh, love it. It's the only place It's the only place in the country that whether you're, you're 9 or 90, somebody's going to say to you, how are you, boy? 
<laughs> and it was one of the reasons when they opened up the county and you could only travel within your county. We here in Cork were fine because we had this beautiful county We and we were the envy of everyone else who yeah, went well, outside you, their county. Yeah, well, yes, you... you, you but you 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 were in the great thing that when you were when you could only move within your county, yeah. you, you could go you could go from beach to to, to hills to city, everything, everything, is, everything in between, and everything and everything in between. So look, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, Patricia. And I hope you, there was some you, useful information for your listeners. Absolutely, and no doubt we'll speak again. In the meantime, stay safe, uh, Richard, and thanks and for joining you. us. Uh, good Thank morning you. to you. Bye bye, Richard Grogan, there, head of employment law at Richard Grogan and Associates, and it does seem like it is a real minefield. And certainly for employers, it's damned if they do and damned if they don't. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Bachelor beef farmer from rural County Clare has decided to become an international matchmaker as he believes love-hungry single farmers could find their potential wives in the Ukraine. And James Tracy from County Clare joins me. Good morning to you, James. Patricia, how are you? I'm very well. You're more than a beef farmer. You're also a very well-known photographer and you're also, you've organised tours before. Tell me about some of the tours you've organised. Yeah, I'm actually, I work very closely with the Diocese of Klein and to lesser extent, the Diocese of Cork and Ross. Okay. In, in Cork, I run trips to Jerusalem and Fatima every year. And, and when did um, you start also, doing that? What's that? When did you start doing that? 2013. Okay. And how popular were they? Every year we have 60 going to a group and every year to Holland, 60, and a lot of people have gone from, from Cork. Um, the Cork Diocese is, is one of the most popular ones in the country, along with Belfast. And obviously they all came to a halt because of Covid. Since 2019, yes. Yeah. So you've decided to do this trip to Kiev. I have, uh, to Kiev, the second biggest city in Ukraine as well, two, two cities. And um, it's there, 10, 10 nights in total. It is based my model list on Werner really as such. It's for me, and um, it's um, it's uh, for ten nights, and um, it's it's for me. It's for four grand in total to go on the trip. It's quite expensive, but the women women are younger and are single, and um, and why why do you think Kiev is the ideal spot to bring the bachelor farmers? Well, there are ten million more women than men in Russia and Ukraine. 10 million more women in Russia and 10 Ukraine. million more, more women. women than men. Yes. That and means most of them will never see a part in their life. And how will you arrange the dates on the Ukraine side? Well, we, uh, for myself, no, I have a date arranged already myself at the airport uh, next year. I have a Ukraine lady meeting in the airport. And how did you arrange that date? Uh, I got the website on, on, um, on uh, the, the Foreign Affairs, which is the name of the company that I'm, that I'm working with. So is that what you will be suggesting people do who are going to go with you? So, so sometimes, yes, but, but um, we'll have social events over there in, in Ukraine. In Ukraine, and we'll have, we'll have um, drinks, slides, free of charge, and uh, we'll be able to meet the women over there. They're trying to come meet us over there. They're coming to our free will. It's, 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 that's not... Um, there's no, no one's been forced here. Yeah, it's all, yeah. And do you believe these Eastern European women will settle well in Ireland? Well, they're near home. They're near home in, in Ireland because they can go home easily enough. So a three-hour flight back to Ukraine. And if you're in America, it'd take longer. So it's, a, it's a nine-hour flight to come, to come from America, a ten-hour flight. So Ireland would suit them better, you reckon? Suit them better, yes. Yeah. Some people are opposed to my, 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 um, 
my trip. It's uh, saying that uh, to the dirty women coming to Ireland is kind of nonsense. And it's not? It's, 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 it's real women, they're single. It's recognised as a church, and very well recognised as a church. They're, they're art or Christian, they're a similar religion that we, we have. And um, they're, they're looking for love as well? They are, yeah. And what age group of, and it's, it's always, it's farmers you're, you're predominantly aiming this at? Well, it could be anyone, anyone really. Anyone, anyone really, okay, as long as they're single. Single, yeah, single or divorced or separated. Or mm. And you're, you're 46, and what age group are you ideally looking for? 27 or 8. Between what? 27 or 8. 27, 28. 27, 28. Okay. And is that the girl, the woman you're going to meet? Is she around that age? She's 24. <laughs> She's even younger. <laughs> and, how, and how are you getting on? You're talking to her online, are you? Uh, uh, kind of about six months. And are you getting on well? Oh, we are, yeah. I had plenty going out this year, but, but, uh, but the call was stopped off. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And you, you did this before you met a Russian doctor a few oh, years I did, ago. Yeah, I like doctors, though. I like doctors. Do you? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, a junior doctor in Ireland, but the 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 the, the consultant at all for me. I went to ten children. Are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> and why have you never been able to find a woman here in Ireland, James? I had a woman for eight years, but she died. Oh, did yeah, fortunately. Oh, that's unfortunate. And you haven't been able to find anyone since. I haven't. Well, so 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 um. I'm on, I'm on I'm Mesh.com, the dating site is Mesh.com, but no, no joy in that. And it's hard to date when you're in your 40s as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so how can people find out more about your trip to Kiev? My website address is jamestracyphotography.ie. jamestracyphotography.ie. And you look up a foreign affair in America, they have the same, same, same site. Okay. There's going to be, going to be um, a link on my website now in two or weeks' time. Okay, and, and the trip is, is not till next year, till 2022. No, next year, next year, yeah. yeah. there's no travel at the moment. Okay, listen, we'll check in with you to see how you're getting on, uh, James. In the meantime, thank you for that. Okay, And sure. uh, thanks uh, for joining us, jamestracyphotography.ie, if you're interested in, in going on that matchmaking trip to the Ukraine. Ideally farmers, but it doesn't have to be just bachelor single farmers. It can be anyone who is looking for love. I didn't realise 10 million more women to men in the Ukraine. So there's women in the Ukraine looking for for men and in particular Irish men. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in by text, WhatsApp and over the phone. A listener listening to James Tracy from County Clare and his matchmaking tour to Kiev says I'm absolutely disgusted at that last segment on your programme. You're advertising modern slavery. Those poor girls have no choice but to come here for money. Listen, I I don't, I really don't think I I mean, I I looked into James Tracy before we had him on the programme. The guy is very, very genuine. I mean, it's, as he says, he's trying to do matchmaking a little bit like what they do in Lister and Varna and I don't think anybody would call the Lister and Varna matchmaking festival modern day slavery. It'll be up to the girls in the Ukraine whether they want to match with people in Ireland and whether they get on. I mean listening to James and his own story he's met somebody online they've been courting online which a lot of people do over the internet for six months and then he's going He's and it'll be, it'll be at least another year before he gets to meet that girl so they'll well know each other I'm assuming by the time he gets on the plane to Kiev. So I think you're wrong in saying it's modern day slavery no one's going to be forcing anyone to come to Ireland with any of these bachelors who decide to go on 
the matchmaking trip with uh, James. But thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. And then reaction to James uh, Grogan, the employment lawyer. Hi, Patricia. I'm absolutely dumbfounded listening to Richard. Lots of people will not take the COVID-19 vaccine. At the end of the day, it is their right. Surely it is discrimination at its very best. The person who has the vaccine is only protecting themselves, not others around them. So he should stick to the facts, says uh, there's no name on that. Somebody else says, I won't be getting vaccinated. And if somebody says to me, you can't have a job, then I'll call it out as discrimination against me for choosing not to employ me. Everyone has the Eighth Amendment, my body, my choice. This is from Grace in Cork. It seems to differ uh, here. Well, I think what James was trying to put across was it is a legal minefield at the moment with employers damned if they do and damned if they don't because John is making the same point it is not my body my choice no one or it is my body my choice no one should be disciplined if they do not want to receive the vaccine and remember employees in this country we enjoy powerful rights to privacy and to bodily integrity and bodily integrity also includes the right to reject medical treatment so you can it is well within your rights to say I don't want to have a vaccine and no and that's the one point that James was trying to get across no employer can force anyone to get a, a, a vaccine and companies also, he's saying, will not be able to segregate those who refuse to get a jab as opposed to those who have a, a jab. And they can't demand, an employer can't even demand to know, they can't even ask someone what is the status of their vaccine and if they've had a vaccine or not. And I suppose if they refuse, if they don't answer, does the employer then take it that they weren't vaccinated? Uh, but they can't be segregated, except health and safety said they must be segregated. I mean, it's just, this is where our laws are all wrong at the moment and this is where the government appears to be sitting on the fence and it's where Ismay has come out you know calling on the government saying that they need to give clear direction clear direction is now needed from from government about the return to work particularly on that people who are not vaccinated uh, versus people who are vaccinated and something needs to be done about it and only time will tell if they will come out and actually give clear direction to the employers because at the moment employers seem to be listening to James this morning damned if they do and damned if they don't I think there's a a lot more to go on this before we see full return to the office and as the Tornish to Leo Varadkar has suggested that return could be as early as August. Now, other issues coming in. Patricia's, uh, hi, Patricia. This country is facing a hard downturn, according to this texter. Just look at the airlines. EasyJet is gone. Stobart is gone. Aer Lingus are downsizing in Shannon. Uh, and in Cork, Lufthansa are going, getting out of Shannon. Then we have a transport minister, Eamon Ryan, who I haven't heard opening his mouth about any of these cutbacks to the airline industry. Where are his eight advisors. Some of them are earning €131,000 a year. Are they telling him to say nothing? Our children and our grandchildren will be paying for all this squandering of money and the airlines is just one example. 
also says this texture why can our politicians not meet in the Dáil why pay 25k a day for meeting in the convention centre the place is almost empty half of the time I'm sure I read something at the weekend that they're looking at returning to the Dáil I suppose as more and more of them start getting vaccinated and of course a lot of our politicians are in the age group where they have started to receive their vaccines a lot of our politicians including our Taoiseach are in the 60 plus age group and they receive the AstraZeneca now they haven't received their second AstraZeneca yet so they're not fully vaccinated but any of the younger politicians those in their 50s and 40s would have received Pfizer some of them would be fully vaccinated so I suppose they're waiting until they get to the stage where everyone is fully vaccinated before they, they can then return to the doll where they will be all sitting closer to each other but your God knows when you say when, you, when we see these scenes on the TV from the convention centre when there's very few in there if you think back to when they used to be sitting in the door there would be scenes where there might be a politician bringing up a motion or giving a speech in the doll and he might be the only one along with the Cahirlach and some of the some of the civil servants they would be the only ones in there so yeah I can see your point but I, I think they are starting to look at it but it is certainly it is a cost to the exchequer there are questions coming in for Peter thank you for those keep those coming Peter Dowdell will be joining us after half past 12 today so if you have a question for Peter get those into us either by calls to John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103 we mentioned moths earlier because one of our listeners is having a problem with moths Catherine in Glenmire said I've also noticed moths in my bedroom and yes exactly as your listener who contacted the programme earlier it's at night you see them when you switch the lights on but I've noticed that they're very they're very small moths uh, when I was younger the smell of mothballs gosh it was so strong says Catherine in Glanmire I know a couple of years ago we put a shout out somebody was having a problem with moths in their wardrobe in that they were eating away at their clothes and somebody was looking for the good old fashioned mothballs and I remember at the time saying I don't even think you can get them anymore and we had a flood of people saying that you can still buy mothballs and they do have a very unique smell I don't think I've smelt a mothball in many many years but they have a very unique smell but they certainly uh, work a number of people then are saying citronella candles and oils that's the candle that your listener is looking for they don't they keep away moths but they keep away all kinds of insects so tell your listener to get the citronella candles and actually a number of people are saying the very same thing that that's what you need to get for the actual scented candle to get rid of moths but it also works on other insects. And then a couple of people reacting to Nula. Nula had uh, contacted us when we were talking about the outdoor dining that's going on at the moment and we were talking about it from an access point of view uh, in that there, some of them, not all of them now, but some of the tables and chairs that have been put out by restaurants are unfortunately blocking up footpaths and we need to be very careful about that. But Nula contacted us because she said where she lives, there's an outdoor seating area which has been installed by the council. So it's out on the roadway. and But it's right next to a pedestrian crossing. And Nula says if you have somebody in a wheelchair in particular, when we were talking about it from an access point of view, they can't be seen. And she said even for a person crossing, it can be very dangerous. Well, a couple of people have been on a 
about that. Uh, somebody says, hi Patricia, yes I agree with Nula about the seating area outside a restaurant next to a pedestrian crossing. It was only a few years ago a lady hit the flashing lights at a particular pedestrian crossing and turned the car upside down and what's to say the same thing couldn't happen again, God forbid, with people eating outside. You could have a fatal accident. And why do they keep putting the steel bollards on the edge end of the footpath in towns at a junction or in, in, in one town that I know of somebody actually took the corner too sharply knocked over the bollard and obviously did a lot of damage to their vehicle because there was an amount of debris left behind now I suppose the reason is to stop drivers mounting the footpath with pedestrians walking on it but they can also be dangerous if people take the corner too sharply do, the, do those bollards on the side of the footpaths also need to be looked at and Mary says Hi Patricia, I heard the comments come in from Nula on the pedestrian crossing and maybe I'm repeating her concerns but I find if I'm driving through certain towns when a vehicle such as a large van is parked just in front of a pedestrian crossing it can actually stop a driver from seeing people stepping out onto the crossing. So they're nearly in front of you and in front of your car before you actually see them. Because of this, says Mary, I tend to go at a snail's pace when I am approaching any of these pedestrian crossings, says Mary. Yeah, and I suppose it's up to pedestrians themselves to be extremely careful when you are when you are approaching a pedestrian crossing for that very reason just to make sure that the people who are driving in their cars that they do uh, see you. I mean I have a couple of pedestrian crossings where I live in particular because we've got some schools in the area you know some of the and like, like you Mary I drive at a snail's pace because some of the very smallies have a tendency just to see a pedestrian crossing and you know the, I mean certainly I remember when we went to school you learned the safe cross code which was to do with well it was to do with crossing the road but certainly in pedestrian crossings you know you stop you look and listen and you wait but if you're very small they have a tendency they don't see the dangers and they can run out so you, we, we, we in the cars the motorists have to be very careful but, but but also the pedestrians need to be very careful when they step out onto a pedestrian crossing. 1850 our lines are open. If you are have a gardening question in particular, can you get it into us or if you want to text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative, the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. Cadollery Community Development, they've got their weekly lotto draw to be on tomorrow, four o'clock. It's in the Cadollery Community Office. They've got a jackpot this week of €2,000. A local girl called Lewis, who has grown her hair for three years, is donating her hair tomorrow to the Rapunzel Foundation. And at the same time, she's going to raise funds for Cork Cancer Care. Donations can be made at her GoFundMe account, which is Lois Hair for Cork Cancer Care. Skibbereen Country Market will be held in Abbey Struri Hall on this Friday, half past 11 until half past 1. They will have a lot of great produce, cakes, crafts, plants, chutneys and jams. 
and Castletown Bear Development Association will hold a drive in bingo. It's at the east end of the pier. It's on Friday night at half past seven. They'll have a jackpot of €1,500. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And Sean in Clonakilty by Texas. Patricia, you mentioned airlines going under in the last five minutes and you mentioned EasyJet along with Stobart. I was shocked when you mentioned EasyJet. I googled and EasyJet were still in business. You better correct that statement over the airwaves, says uh, Sean. Yeah, that came in, that text came in from a listener and I think what, what they may have been, uh, rather than yeah, EasyJet isn't gone, I think what they may have been talking about was because he got announced last month that uh, EasyJet has lost uh, to, was it 3.6 billion since the start of the COVID crisis. So they certainly have had huge losses but indeed that's along with uh, Ryanair and Aer Lingus. So glad to report that EasyJet still very much in business. Uh, thank you for that. And when I was talking about pedestrian crossings, wouldn't you want to be careful where you are and that people aren't watching you? Because Mike says, Patricia, you drove through the pedestrian crossing at Aldi last week while a woman was about to cross with her trolley. My apologies to that uh, lady and I will be doubly, doubly careful the next time I go through any pedestrian crossing because I do try to be. I really do try to be. Uh, but anyway, and I didn't knock her down, thank God, but I should have been aware that the woman was trying to cross with her trolley. And thank you, Mike, for pointing out uh, what I did wrong. On uh, lavender mothballs. I got lavender mothballs. Oh, said a listener. They have a lovely fragrance. You can get the lavender mothballs in four homes in Mallow if anybody is interested in them because somebody else says actually if you burn lavender it's good as well to get rid of the moths. You know when our listener was burning the candles and she didn't know which of the candles was working and which, which wasn't. Somebody else said lavender. Citronella is a good, great one, but lavender. And I like, like the smell of lavender as well. So lavender is probably a better one to use. But lavender mothballs, who knew? More questions coming in for Peter. Thank you for that. Dennis says, Patricia, here's another idea for mobility and disabled access. Stop giving free airtime and promotion to restaurants and publicans if they are not disabled friendly. There's a well-known business in Cork with no wheelchair access due to a step at the front door of the premises and the same people are always out with the poor mouth says Dennis. So businesses that are not wheelchair accessible should be called out according to Dennis. And then Betty has been on to us. Her daughter is a nurse, has been working over in England for the last five years, hasn't been home since Christmas of 2019 because of Covid. Betty said, I'm here scratching my head and I'm confused as to she's trying to book a flight to come home in July and I don't know whether she needs to quarantine what's going to happen there's so much talk going on and there seems to be every day there seems to be different information about it well I know reading in the papers today and the latest on this is that Fine Gael ministers are pushing for home quarantine measures to be ditched for vaccinated passengers arriving into Ireland from Britain because Betty's daughter she says in her text as a nurse working in the UK is fully vaccinated and has been fully vaccinated for quite uh, some time. Now the government have signed off on new strict travel restrictions for people travelling from uh, Britain under the new rules and these new rules for Betty's daughter and for anyone else who has relatives in England who are planning on coming home they come into effect from next Monday. Unvaccinated passengers from Britain will be forced to quarantine at home for at least 10 days and then they need to get two negative PCR tests before they can go out of the home and end the 
quarantine. British travellers can currently end their home quarantine after five days if they've written confirmation of a negative PCR test for COVID. But that now is going to be increased to 10 days for unvaccinated people travelling from Britain. They will also be required to get a negative PCR test. They'll have to get it on day five and then they'll have to get a second one on day 10 and then they'll be able to end their home quarantining. Vaccinated travellers from Britain will still have to quarantine for at least five days and they'll still have to get a negative COVID test before they can leave where they are staying. Now it all got discussed at a cabinet meeting yesterday where they signed off on these new regulations around people travelling and obviously this is all to do with the the Delta variant. But it was Pascal Donoghue, the finance minister, he queried why vaccinated people travelling from Britain would still have to quarantine. And it was one of the things that I was scratching my head about as well. Cabinet sources say it was agreed at the meeting that the that Neffet will be asked to examine if vaccinated people should be able to avoid the need to quarantine and also avoid the need to get a PCR test once they arrive in Ireland. Now, the Minister of Higher Education, Simon Harris, said that public health experts also need to review the vaccine bonus But they also need to review on how it applies to international travel. We know how the vaccine bonus works in this country for our own citizens who are vaccinated. And, you know, when you're fully vaccinated, one of the vaccine bonuses is that, you know, you can vaccinated people can sit together without wearing masks and they can visit each other's homes and, you know, they can have a meal together and they don't need to be wearing masks or social social distancing. So there's a lot of vaccine bonuses for Irish citizens. But Simon Harris is saying, surely we need to look at them for international travellers coming into this country as well. Simon Harris says it is his view that there seems to be a logic that if someone is fully vaccinated, surely they should have some benefit or some kind of bonus as opposed to somebody who's getting on a plane or on a boat and is coming into this country who's not fully vaccinated. And at the moment, they seem to be treating both of them the same way. The Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, said that the 10-day quarantine was for the interim period. Now, the interim period is going to be from next Monday and it will run up to the 19th of July. And of course, the reason for the 19th of July is when international travel resumes But he said the situation will be reviewed again next month. The minister said that these more stringent measures for those arriving from Britain are to hold that variant back, the Delta variant back, as long as we can while our vaccination programme is progressing in this country. Eamon Ryan says there are small numbers of the Delta variant in Ireland at the moment. They're largely concentrated in the east of Ireland. And he said the more that we can do to delay the spread of that particular variant, the better. And I suppose those in government are very cautious because of what happened at Christmas when we opened up the floodgates and we allowed people to travel freely from the UK and indeed from other countries but particularly from the UK where at the time it was the Kent variant was just starting. We had a small number in this small number of Kent cases in December but nothing that we really were that worried about and next a lot of people travelled and we know what happened and we know the mess that we got ourselves into and we also know that people died because of it and I think there are being doubly cautious because of that but I do think it'll be interesting to see now that Neffet have been asked to look at it I do think if somebody has been fully vaccinated I mean Betty's daughter as a nurse 
has been vaccinated now for many, many months and therefore has immunity, you would think, from COVID-19. Now, I know there has been a small number of cases of vaccinated people in Britain becoming, becoming infected with the new strain. But the scientists and the evidence is out because when they became infe- infected, they had such a very low level of the virus in their system it couldn't be proven if they were passing it on or not but I suppose based on that the health experts are just being doubly cautious but they're the new regulations that come into play from next Monday and they're for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people they will have to quarantine at home so Betty I know your daughter wants to get home to to see you and I suppose because she hasn't been home since Christmas of 2019. She so desperately wants to see you and other family members. She might be very happy to do that and to abide by the quarantine rules. But tell her, I would say my suggestion would be if she can hold off until after July 19th and let's wait and see what happens in the interim because more people in this country will have been vaccinated and as Eamon uh, Ryan says, they will look at the situation. They will review it again next uh, month, but certainly there will be a major shift from July 19th. So the quarantining requirements for vaccinated people may be completely lifted and by then only time will tell. 1850 333 103. Let's take a break and we are back with Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com answering your gardening questions. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Wake up with Ken Tobin. Weekday mornings on C103. There's the chance to qualify for our top oil competition. You could win a fuel voucher valued at €650. What are people buying online these days? Wake up to Cork's greatest hits and the chance to win 100 It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. See you tomorrow morning. Cork's More Music Breakfast with Ken Tobin. Weekdays from 6 a.m. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. 
Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And Peter Dowd on theirishgardener.com joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? you? I'm very well and you're very welcome. Let's get straight into questions. And he was an email that came in from Alma and I know John Paul has sent you on the picture of her poor, uh, dishevelled looking rose. And it says, here is a pic of the rose. It was fine up to last year. I pruned it back end of February. Also put some rose clear on it. It started to bud and then it stopped. What could be gone wrong with Alma's rose? I have bad news for Alma anyway and I would think that it's dead. Now, why could be several things uh i'm not a fan of using rose clear but i'm not saying that has killed it but it it possibly didn't do it any good but um it looks like it's got some kind of a fungal dieback right um now when it could have when you prune a rose or any plant obviously you're leaving an open wound so infection can get in through that so it's why it's important that uh, the cuts are very very clean now in this case the cuts are very very clean but it's still unfortunate uh, that it could be it could be that that's where infection got in um the 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 other thing and we speak a lot about disease control and disease prevention at the moment and hygiene in terms of controlling disease from from the point of view of humans obviously but also it's very very relevant when it comes to the world of gardening trish so if you if you um if you don't clean, let's say, secateurs when moving from one shrub to another, you could spread disease very easy that way. So it could have been that. It could have been a dirty secateurs or something like that. Um, I can't say 100% what's caused it, but what I do know is that looking at the photograph here, it doesn't look good, I'm afraid. It looks like it's finished. I, 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 yeah, I would just yeah. complain if the compost it, bin. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, and you can't... Well, it's in a pot, isn't it? So it's clear it out and we plant something new for next year. Yes, exactly. Yeah, plant something else in that pot. But uh, yeah, that rose, unfortunately, is finished. Okay, Paddy in Mallow has a problem with the roots of his cabbage. Something is eating at his cabbage roots. How to prevent it and how to treat it? You can get cabbage collars. So it's probably the the larvae of the cabbage white butterfly, uh, or cabbage fly, sorry. And it gets in and it starts feeding away on the roots of cabbages now the best way to control it is you can get little cabbage collars which are little fleece collars that go around the base of the plant at soil level and they can't burrow under it Uh, and that's by far and away i think the most effective way of dealing with it being honest okay and this is a, a problem that's just comes up every single year and i don't know if there's any solution how can i stop rabbits in my garden from eating my bedding plants that's more on the c103 on insta uh rabbits well there, you know, there's something that I started using over the last couple of years, Trish, which I have found very, very good, and I have mentioned it before. It's a thing called grazers. Now, grazers is a range of products. It's absolutely chemical-free. It's, they're, they're all based in calcium. Um, and if you, if you, you, you basically you, you spray or drench the plants that you want to protect with the grazers, they do them for a range of different pests, but the, their main one, their core one, was always for rabbits. So what you do is you drench the plant with a mixture of grazers and water, if I just obviously the dose is on the bottle and the rest of it, or you can get a ready-to-use one, um, and that builds up the calcium, the levels of calcium within the plant, which is good for the plant in the first instance. But it also makes the plant totally unpalatable to the rabbits, so they won't go near it. But the trick is, uh, which I've discovered over the last two years, because I was using it before and was finding a mixed results. But now that I'm, I'm using it correctly, if you like, now that I've read the instructions properly, right? Um, if you drench those bedding plants with the grazers a few days before you plant them out and then drench so maybe drench, when you get them 
try, it, it does require a bit of planning, but like if you've got rabbits, it is going to require a bit of planning. So when you, when you buy your bedding plants or if you're growing your own bedding plants, about a week before you plant them out, you want to drench them with the grazers. And again, about two days before you plant them out. And then again, on the day that you plant them out. So it's not, if you, if you just plant them out and drench them with the grazers, the chances are the rabbits may still go for them. But if you, if you preempt the rabbit attack, if you like, and drench them about a week beforehand, and then about two days beforehand, and then on the day of planting, uh, you will find it very, very good and very, very effective. Okay, this is from Jim. I have, is it called Willamy Pine? Willamy? Yeah, the Wallamy Pine. Yeah. Wallamy, Wallamy Pine. Yeah. Uh, seven or eight years old. It's gone brown. I've watered it regularly, but I haven't overwatered it. I repotted it with recommended compost, but nothing seems to work. Any advice, please? The Wallamy Pine tree is a very interesting plant. <clears throat> it's a plant that was thought to be extinct. And a fellow called David Noble discovered it in a, in a gorge, in an inaccessible gorge in Australia. I think, I think I'm right in saying around 2003. Um, it did a natural planting of it, a natural stand of it. To put it in context, the Wallamy pine tree should be like it would be like finding a living dinosaur in the plant it's world. A pre- I'm, okay, just, so I'm looking, I actually, actually realised I have it in my garden and didn't even realise I had one. Uh, yeah, it's, there you it's, go, it's, yeah. It's, it's, pre- yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a prehistoric plant. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, so it would, as I say, like in the animal kingdom, it would be the equivalent of finding a living dinosaur. Um, so they're, they're a fascinating and fabulous plant, but. So it's a pity, obviously, that, that he's in trouble with this one. Um, I'm not sure, and I don't want to hazard a guess as to the answer as to what's caused it. He, he says he's repotted it using the correct compost and all yeah. that. Um, I'd need to see a picture, and if he can send in a picture, I'll certainly have a look at it, and I'll, I'll share it amongst my, my kind of plant anorak friends to see if anybody else has a suggestion. Does he, in the question, does he say, did he take it out of the ground and put it into a pot, or has it always no, been just, in a pot? No, just, he just said he repotted it, so I'm, I'm, the fact he said repotted, I'm assuming it's in a pot. Yes, going from one into a larger. Yeah. So the the only the only thing that I can think of, I'm afraid, and it's 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 very po- well. I say I'm afraid, but it's very possibly the the answer actually is that it just dried out in its original pot. Uh, any plant, obviously, if it dries out, is 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 a goner. But uh, but I can't say for sure, obviously, yeah. without asking the caller or without seeing a photograph. Yeah, I was just looking in Australia. They describe it as the world's rarest tree. So there you go. Okay, there if you, you want to get a yeah. picture into us, uh, Jim, and we can send it on to Peter. Now, Michael in Mallow says, my lawn is off colour this year. I always had a lovely green lawn, but for some reason, it just doesn't seem to be taking off this year. Why is that? What would Peter recommend to bring it back to a lovely, rich, lush green colour? Well, as always with, with lawns and lawn care, Trish, it's kind of it's more important as to what's going on under the grass as opposed to what we put on it over the grass. So if it's, if it's fading in color, if it's not looking as healthy as it should, uh, look at maybe improving the growing conditions. So scarifying, which should be done in March. So it's too late to do scarifying now because we're, I know we're in for at least 10 weeks of glorious weather like we had at the weekend. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So don't, don't, uh, don't, don't scarify it now, but scarifying Trish, it just removes the buildup of thatch and debris at the soil surface and allows the air to breathe or the soil to breathe. And you see, when you don't do this, you, it does lead to a, 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 the build-up of thatch and, and debris and decaying matter builds up at the soil surface quicker than it can decompose. And when that happens, uh, the grass stops thriving, which is, as the caller describes here, and it, it just it doesn't look as good as it should. So scarifying, I'm a great believer in scarifying for good to, to keep the lawn looking well. If you, 
don't do it now as i say march is the best month but failing that do it in september okay so scarify it then another good lawn maintenance cons- cons- regularly if you like is um hollow tine aerating so aerate it by taking out little pods of soil no, you don't 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 do it by hand because you'll be there forever. But you can rent a machine to do it, uh, and that's very effective. So it's all about improving the soil and improving the growing conditions. And I would say after scarifying it, and even if you want to put something on it now, go for the Irish product, the Lawn Gold. That's an environmentally sound lawn care product that, um, and it's safe for use. As somebody was asked talking to me about this yesterday, it's very safe uh, if you have animals or pets in the garden. The, the Lawn Gold. So what it does is it works by by maintaining the optimum pH for grass growth, which is slightly alkaline. Uh, and delivering the correct nutrient balance to the root zone for the for the lawn um, so that would be what i would do now straight away is use lawn golden in september scarify it and aerate it straight away after and you could even put the winter protect on it at that stage um but it's all about what's going on below the grass really as opposed to above the grass okay nora says hi peter i put up a tunnel this year and i'm delighted with it but i have a problem with flies there's a large amount of flies inside the tunnel i did try a scented candle but to no avail i also put out fly paper but it is only catching some of them any advice welcomed uh, I, 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 when she says flies, or when the caller says flies, I'm guessing that it's um, like aphid flies, you know, these tiny flies, like green fly and white fly, as opposed to your, your house fly, if you like. So the, 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 the solutions really are all kind of cultural in terms of the sticky paper will, will certainly help locally in, in, within the area of it. But the best, most important thing is to keep it very well ventilated. So let, make sure there's lots of air traveling through the tunnels. Any doors or flaps that can be opened, open them during this, the summer months. Um, I was going to say overwatering, make sure you're not overwatering, but in a tunnel that doesn't, tends not to be a problem. But if if you are watering a lot and if there's a, a lot of humidity in the tunnel, that will create conditions that these aphids will love. But then they're obviously also feeding, I would imagine they're feeding on something in the tunnel. So you try and find the source of what they're being attracted to as well. And if possible, even just remove that plant or take part of that plant out. Um, the only other thing then to suggest is uh, uh, for your plants, it won't necessarily, this won't necessarily get rid of the flies from the environment in there but it will stop them attra- attacking your plants is if you apply uh, a garlic wash like we've talked about many times in the program Trish t- to your plants are the grazers which I mentioned a minute ago for, for rabbits grazers also do a fabulous calcium based product for um, for for aphids it's, it's for cabbage whitefly caterpillars and aphids so use that or use the garlic wash uh, on the plants and at least even if it doesn't remove them from the tunnel it'll keep your plants safe yeah yeah okay Eileen in Clan has sent on a picture she has harvested onions and garlics fine display of them she harvested them last Sunday the 13th but she's wondering will they dry out what uh, will, like will they dry out to be unusable I wonder yeah, what she means yeah. like well no they, it's very early to harvest them but are they spring onions they are look like spring, onions. yeah, no, they're, they're, they're spring onions. I can see they're scallions. Oh, sorry, yeah, because yeah. I was thinking it's very, very yeah, early to... Yeah, spring onions. So for spring onions, yes, they will dry out, unfortunately. Once you've harvested them, they'll start drying out. And uh, when we harvest onions later in the year, kind of in, in the autumn, obviously we want them to dry out because that, that's what stores them. But with the spring onions, no, you'd need to use them quicker than that. Yes, unfortunately, they will dry out. So start giving them around to neighbours and friends. They'll be delighted, yeah, yeah, They'll be yeah, delighted yeah. to see you uh, coming. Hi, question for Peter. Is it too late to plant sweet peas? I brought them a few weeks ago and then forgot to plant them. Uh, and now the roots are growing upwards. Also, the amount of slugs in my garden this year seems to have doubled and they've already just destroyed pots of magnolias. I use plug pubs 
but is there anything organic I can use which are safe for dogs and wild birds? Okay, let's, okay. let's start um, with sweet peas first. Sweet peas bought a few yeah. I've got to plant them. Well, it, it, by the sound of it, so you've got sweet pea plants or seedlings as opposed to seeds. First of all, I thought the question was going to be on seeds. And I'd say it probably is a bit too late, but, but, you know, give it a go. And if we get a good autumn or yeah, get a good autumn, you still have blooms. But the fact is you have plants because as the way you're describing the roots are now growing up out of the pot. So, yeah, you have strong plants. So I would absolutely plant them out. Um, worst case scenario, they flower a bit later, but they'll still flower for you. So definitely plant them out. OK, now on, to lose. on the slugs in the garden, there's a couple of yes. people are saying the same thing. And I have to say, I had hedgehogs and they're obviously not around this year because I'm, I've got slugs in the garden as well. I haven't got a marigold left uh, with them. I just realised Vera is saying it's slug pellets, but she's looking for something yeah. more organic that's safe for, do- for dogs and wild birds. What would you suggest? OK, well, I suppose what I'll do as briefly as possible, Trish, is in the on my own Facebook page, The Irish Gardener, I put up a video about a week or two ago outlining all the different, or several at least, of the different uh, organic methods of slug control. So that's probably the best place to direct you to is my own Facebook page, The Irish Gardener. If you search the videos, you'll see it in one of the last few videos up, the, the organic methods of controlling snails. But the, the bad slug pellets are the ones containing methaldehyde because they're the ones that will kill the hedgehogs, the birds, domestic pets. They're toxic to all of us. Um, but, they're, but they're still widely available, unfortunately. So don't use them. Organic slug pellets contain ferric phosphate as an active ingredient, which is safe. But the, I think the best of all of them really is the, the, the wool pellets. It's a barrier product and it's called Slug Gone. Uh, and you create a barrier around your plants with these wool pellets, which then biodegrade into the soil and they, they work well as a soil conditioner anyway. It's just from sheep's wool. And, and the, the slugs can't get across these pellets when they get wet. When you wet them, they form a layer that the slugs can't get across. So the, there are a couple of options, but as I say, there's more, but I, I, I'm conscious of time, Trish, so uh, I would direct them towards the Irish Gardener Facebook, Facebook page. Have page. a look at the videos, the, the organic methods of dealing with slugs. Okay, yeah. and I take it Liz, is, Liz and Kinsale, her question is coming in directly as something you said earlier. She says, could you ask Peter, how do I disinfect secateurs and hedge cutters to prevent passing infection from one plant to another? Do you know it's a good question, and I should, I should have I should have mentioned it when I was when I was talking about it. Um, any good disinfectant, even your Dettol, Dettol, have Dettol, um, a bucket of Dettol out with you when you're gardening, that'll do it. But you can also get, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, Growing Success. It's an organic brand, and they do um, a garden disinfectant. And that's an, a, a Growing Success. I think it's just called Garden Disinfectant, uh, and just have that to hand and wipe your secretaries with that. Uh, between because you see uh, the, the reason I brought it up was because if you're pruning one plant and if there's a disease on that plant that you're pruning you don't clean your secretaries you go and prune another plant you can very easily spread disease between plants that way yeah Margaret and Douglas is the problem that a lot of her flowers are being eaten by something is it uh, is there is there are there more slugs this year than other years have you noticed no <laughs> I, I don't I I haven't particularly but there are, I found them I was uh, doing the shopping last night, Trish, down in Duns, and I opened my boot to put in the shopping, and I found half a dozen of them in the boot. Uh, so they seem to be everywhere. They seem to be taking uh, the mick out of me, anyway. Yeah, but if something's eating the flowers, more than likely it's slugs. Is it slugs and snails? Very probably. Very probably at this time of the year, yeah. It's the most likely culprit. It might be caterpillars, but it's much more likely to be slugs and snails, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, and are you still live on Fridays on your Facebook page? 
Live on Fridays and yeah. just in fact very briefly today if anybody's interested I'll direct you to a webinar for the, the DCC Host in Ireland is the name of the company and they're they're launching a fantastic initiative to, to, to have a thousand orchards to install a thousand orchards throughout the country to help with the, the pollinators and I'll be live I think it's at three o'clock on a webinar with Una Fitzpatrick from the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan okay. again off to my Facebook page and you'll see the link Okay IrishGardener.com thank you for that and that's where I leave you for today talk to you tomorrow Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.